I came home, there was a man in my house. He had an artificial arm. Are you saying that I killed my wife? Are you saying that I crushed her skull and that I shot her? Gentlemen, listen up. We have a fugitive that's been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injury, is four miles an hour. That will give you a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in this area. Checkpoints will go up at 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. Thanks for hitting download on a special edition of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Today we're kind of segueing out of our normal when did that when when did that come out uh, season to take a look at a special anniversary. It's the 25th anniversary of The Fugitive, uh, 1993's Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones action thriller that really did just to come out to say it came out of nowhere would wouldn't really do it justice. The Fugitive had been around for quite a period of time, but the movie itself was came out of nowhere hit. It was not a hit that people, I think, were anticipating to be as big as it was. And it's kind of interesting to look at the legacy of it. This was kind of born out of an article recently that came out from The Atlantic about The Fugitive and the kind of the legacy of it. That in terms of movies that have stemmed from it, the, the, the adult action film and how that has been a tricky genre to navigate through over the years. There have been some peaks, probably more valleys than anything else. The Fugitive, or the Fugitive definitely is... Of the last 25 years, it's been the the biggest, the highest peak, without question. So we're going to take a look at that today. I'm William Rankin, joined by Charlie Stabile. How's it going? And um, the the best way, really the most faithful way to start this is to really go back and look at where this all comes from. This is a television property to begin with. This is a show that runs from, what, what are the years? I believe it's 1963 to 1967. And it's a period of time where, like, half the country is watching a television show. Mm-hmm. One television show, which is really, like, nowadays, like, maybe the Super Bowl will get that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, the the type of ratings that 
for example, the finale of The Fugitive. I think it had an 80% market share. It's just unreal. <laughs> and I mean, for, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I remember for a period of time, like, it was always mentioned as, like, one of the highest rated of all time. I don't know where it stacks nowadays, because Super Bowl is, generally speaking, find a way to take up most of the top ten. I know the MASH finale was one that's always really high as well. The MASH finale was the first finale to beat it. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, that's incorrect. The Who Shot JR episode of Dallas beat it, and then MASH beat that, and then I lose track. Yeah. See, Super like <clears throat> unfortunately, I think it really is Super Bowls take up the majority of them. Mm-hmm. Because it's really, the, on, honestly, the only way you're going to get most of the country watching one thing. Because nowadays, it's it's just impossible, because there's so many options. You can go to Netflix, you can go to Hulu, mm-hmm. you can go to... Um, you can go to Amazon. You can go to Netflix. All these other, all these streaming things. You don't need to go. That nobody want like to get. Especially this is CBS. This is back when you only had like just your basic uh, television channels. So it's really a wild thing. You're a big fan of the show. You follow the show. So mm-hmm. how would you kind of characterize the show like as a whole? Like the 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 real draw to it. It's film noir. Uh, especially the first three seasons. The first three seasons were in black and white, and then that's when the transition happened. The last season's in color, so it loses a little bit of that quality that that really made it appealing in the beginning. Um, I will say, for a 60s show, it has aged incredibly well, uh, you know, when you strip away the technology aspect of it. The real draw is really just, I guess, how sympathetic they make the character of Richard Kimball. Yeah. And, and just the way that he interacts with people... Like, because that's basically it. It's one of the it's one of the original. I'm gonna get involved in people's lives and fix them in an hour. TV shows. See, when I when I think about it, I was thinking about the Incredible Hulk. The Incredible yes. Hulk is like like an identical show yes. in a lot of ways. T- Ten years later, because yeah, it's the same idea. It's like he's the Hulk. Every episode's kind of same. David Bruce Banner, Banner, whatever, is gonna go around town to town. He's gonna solve some people's problems. He'll probably become the Hulk at least mm-hmm. once. Help somebody out, and then it's, he's got to leave because they're honest. Is on his tail. Yeah, the thing that's great about the, the the TV show is that pretty much every single episode's main story is the B story, but the A story is finding the one-armed man, avoiding uh, Lieutenant Gerard. What is the premise? I guess we should... With the... Sure. So Dr. Richard Kimball is, in the TV show, he was a, a pediatrician who was falsely convicted of murdering his wife. He claimed a one-armed man did it, and he's being transported in a train by the... Uh, Philip Gerard, the train crashes, and this is where the show differs a little bit from the movie in that the TV show makes it a very personal thing between Gerard and Kimball, where Gerard feels like he lost his man, and it drives him for the remaining 120 episodes, as opposed to the movie, which basically just had him as a hired hand you know to come in and take care of the case but that's basically the crux of it and week to week he gets involved with people's lives and one of the things that's fascinating about the show and the and the movie borrows from it a little bit is that most of the random people he comes across are more messed up than he is and yet they are innocent you know in in terms of a court of law and he ends up being a, a victim in that kind of situation and i read that that was a really interesting thing back then was it was Let's let's take a guy from high society and constantly have him in low society working menial jobs, you know, as being like a, a like a stable boy, or let's have him working at an automotive, you know, department, you know, like it was always jobs that I guess back then you could pick up on a whim, and they kind of touch on that in the movie. It's it's great how much of the movie deals like the, like the whole sequence in the movie where he's living in that apartment. 
like that could have been a whole episode, but it's, it takes up about five minutes of the movie. Yeah. And so in that regard, I think the movie's very faithful to it, and the TV show is very compelling. The leads are very different, especially in the way that they they played the roles, but um, with David Jansen and Barry Morse. But the thing that I think that the movie does better than the TV show is that it's hard to go through 120 episodes of a television show like that and not look at Philip Gerard as a complete moron that he, because several times he captures Kimball, loses him. It works, I think much better from that aspect in a movie. But, That's Roger Ebert. That was one of his biggest praises of the movies that it avoids those up. Oh, almost got, almost yeah, got these scenes, like, these crafty things you have to, yeah, you really believe that like that Gerard just just wasn't quite smart enough to catch him that time, yeah. you know, and, and and that makes it okay. The TV show gets ridiculous sometimes with how they deal with it, but um, no, it's it's very interesting because there's I always thought it was one of the most compelling ideas for a television show ever, where it's it's the ultimate chase story where you got Kimball chasing the one armed man and Kimball's being chased by Gerard, who doesn't even acknowledge that a one armed man exists. Yeah, so. This movie comes out in 1993. Um, I read that nobody was overly excited to do it. Like, yeah, I mean, the list of people, Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Richard Gere, Jeff Bridges, Michael Douglas, Al Pacino, all considered for Richard Kimball. You've got guys like Gene Hackman, John Voight considered for, or that were approached to do. Hackman would have been amazing. Yeah, as Gerard. As Ger- well, and the the other thing that's cool is it's Chicago, and from for French, French Connection, it would have mm-hmm. been an, another really nice layer to it. But yeah, there's so many people that are, and 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 another one, another one that wasn't listening in that group. I was, I was uh, Christopher Reeve, oh. which would have been an excellent Christopher Richard, Reeve. Richard Kimball has a resemblance to David Jansen. So I could see them wanting to go with that route. and Because that's the other thing, too. Harrison Ford, it's a credit to him, I think, in this movie. Because it's very hard to buy him as not a superstar. Yeah. And, and Christopher Reeve, you take Superman out of it, and you can put him in every man roles. I could definitely see Christopher Reeve doing something oh, yeah. like this. I mean, it would have it, it would have been the one thing that kind of broke him out of the Superman curse, you know, of like the, that people are always going to see is that. Right. Absolutely. He would have killed it as that. The, another one... Um, at one point, Walter Hill was attached, and he wanted Nick Nolte to be Richard Kimball. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. It's okay. He's, Nolte uh, might have been a little too old. Yeah, that's, at that point, and I think that's why Nolte didn't want to do it. Was he was too old to to do so? But I mean, Michael Keaton would have been okay. Like I love Michael Keaton. I do you too. love Michael Keaton very much. Like again, like the all those guys are good actors, but there's something about Harrison Ford doing it that really it just just makes sense it does in a weird way um i've always this has always been my favorite harrison ford performance because this is unlike anything i think that he's used to doing uh it's very odd to see harrison ford play vulnerable and play basically the on the lower end of, of things and not be in control of the situation i like seeing him like that and and you know if you just go by star wars and indiana jones i think it would be hard to see him be able to pull off that kind of role, but he can. Harrison is extremely underrated, and I think this movie really, really seals that. Um, look at the look at the director too. It's Andrew Davis, which is fascinating because it's not like I mean, Under Siege was was a hit, it was but a it's hit. not like you know, it's not like he's a household name. No, because I think and, other than and that, Code of Silence, it it sucks. I don't think it's very good. I've see, I always it. forget that one. He also did Above the Law, right? With um, with Seagal. Now, Under Siege is a great jumping off point because of Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. So, Tommy Lee Jones, 
you know, everyone knows who he is now. I don't think it was like that back then. I, I mean, he we knew of his movies. I, I laughed because I looked at some of these titles and I was like, he did a movie with Gene Hackman called The Package. Yes, or something like that. That's true. And I was like, mm-hmm. I've never, you know, and I remember he did another one. He did like his Rambo, which was called The Park Is Mine, where he is mm-hmm. a Vietnam vet takes over Central Park, just like the way Rambo does. That's right. But like again, He'd like been in JFK. Yeah, he was Coal in Coal Miner's Daughter. And Coal Miner's Daughter was the other one. But this is it. This, this is, is it. Is, this is unfortunately, this is well, also unfortunately, in many ways, this becomes his kind of go-to yeah. uh, character and nothing against him in this movie because uh, Tommy Lee Jones, I don't know if you could have put anyone charismatically up against Harrison Ford that would have been as interesting as Tommy Lee Jones because it's just as much his movie as it is Harrison's. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they have an amazing chemistry in this movie, even though they're, I, I believe they're only in three scenes together. Yeah. One of the things that's fascinating is I've, uh, in reading on is that Tommy Lee Jones multiple times thought this movie was going to be crap. Yeah. I remember reading once that he, he was sitting in a car with Harrison Ford during a break and said, oh, come on, it's not like we're going to be winning Oscars for this. Right. And Which I think is a very interesting point. So, like, this movie came out in the summer of 93. I actually remember going to see this in the theater. Can you believe the real quick? It was shot in 73 days. Just an unreal number of days. For what happens in this movie, that's incredible. That's, like, the fastest turnaround I've ever heard. And, like, filming in 1992, August, you crank that thing out in multiple, like, both in Illinois and in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. where your principal shoot. It's all locations. It's incredible. And you're right, coming out in 93. That's a big year. I mean, it's it's a year that typically only gets mentioned as Spielberg. It's because... It's his year. I mean, it's he, he comes out with two very iconic movies. Mm-hmm. But this is no... This one's not, not one to sleep on. No, this is arguably my favorite movie of 93. Yeah! Like, and, because it's, that's what's so fascinating here. So this is a summer movie that gets six Academy Award nominations and one win. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, which is, like, when you think of that, a, a movie that was based on a television show was nominated for Best Picture. Right. That's remarkable. Now, the, the one... two th- Well, two things about the Oscars are kind of driving me nuts. Uh, one, I absolutely think this movie should have won for editing. Absolutely. Schindler's List won. Give me a break. That one? Yes. No. The, I, the Fugitive... The way that The Fugitive works with editing and how... There's the, seven dudes working on this movie. Yeah. It's insane. And that sounds like a nightmare. That sounds like yes. something that's going to clash. The way that this movie distributes information... Uh, within the first 15 minutes is absolutely incredible to me. And it's it's a fascinating watch. The first 15 minutes are better than anything they could have hoped for. Yeah, with. I, if I'm... All right. The first cut they did, like... Oh, it was... The movie was... Because no. the movie it comes It was chronological, in, wasn't it? it? Theatrical cut is like... 210. 210. I, I, I am almost certain that the original cut was like two and a half hours because the first 30 minutes is... Murder all the way up to him going to jail as a first so thirty at, minutes. So him at the fundraiser and all of it. The 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 whole process of being an interrogation, lawyers, courtroom, all of it. And then see that sounds very early nineties. Yes, thriller. Yes. the kind of movies that Harrison Ford was making at the time like outside. Presumed innocent, like type. presumed innocent. It sounds exactly like presumed innocent. Yeah, and that's bad. Uh, but what what this movie is able to do, they get the murder out of the way within three minutes. I don't even think the credits are done. But it's during the credits. Like the last credit you see is directed by Andrew Davis, and the bus is moving. The bus is moving, and the, and, and we're off and running. Like fifteen that's basically... minutes. That's wild too. That you see directed by it fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, they spread it out. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give the movie this kind of credit too. Uh, for a PG thirteen, it has always been hard for me to watch that murder scene. 
like especially the crushing of the skull <clears throat> part. Yeah. Which you don't see anything, but it's the sound. It's the sound is just horrifying, and uh, and the I mean. Let's talk about the interrogation scene in, in and of itself, uh, because I said like the editing was always my my one problem with the Oscars, with the way that this movie works. I don't understand and never have how Tommy Lee Jones gets an Oscar nod, but Harrison doesn't. Uh, Harrison in this scene alone, this is probably the best scene in the movie, I would say, and it's the first real scene in the movie. Everything else is just kind of snippets, right? And this is the first scene that really breathes, and this is a movie that does great with with acting expressions. I, like a, a lot of this movie is told silently. Yeah, and, and that's what's so much fun to watch. That first scene because that scene is a very heavy dialogue. It's pretty much like the only heavy dialogue scene. The in interrogations. The movie. Yeah, I mean the yeah. rest of the movie has like, obviously has dialogue. Well, I love that most of the dialogue in the, in the first half of the scene is coming from the two police officers that are interrogating him, but they're they're hardly ever shown talking. It's mainly they're talking and we're watching Harrison Ford he, he react. Know, he didn't know the questions were going to be. That's that makes it so much better that he didn't. Know, I didn't know that he didn't know the questions. That's why his his reactions, because understandably, like I, I've not, and you haven't. We haven't been through what Richard Kimball went through, but like how he starts off, like he's he's kind of he's kind of stroking his his beard. He's kind of like he's trying to process. He's processing everything that's happened, and it starts off very very slow, and then he starts to pick up on where the line of questioning yes. is going. And that's when it really kicks one of the into things, a high gear. One of the things that's really fun about this movie to watch as an audience member, and this is why I think this movie has infinite rewatchability, is figuring out for yourself when you think characters realize things. And yeah, and it's you can very clearly see, at least I can, where Her- Richard Kimball realizes, wait a minute, what's happening here? And and he doesn't really vocalize it right away. It's more like it with his hands or with his eye twitch. Yeah. It's just really fun to watch. And and also, I've never seen Harrison Ford make these kinds of acting choices or facial expressions. This is a good point to bring up. In this any is, other movie. This is like how we talk about um, Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, whatever. It's a movie where an actor that has a persona abandons oh, it, and it's it's absent in the beginning, but slowly he starts to gather the traits he that... He learns how to become Tom Cruise. Yeah, in yeah. the same case, like, by it's the just, end of this movie, he's, he's Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. But in the beginning, like, this is not Han Solo, this is definitely not Indiana Jones. No. This is definitely not uh, De- Rick Deckard. No. This is... John Book. Sure, just... Well, we can just name him. But, <laughs> Jack, Jack Ryan. But that's he's, the... But that's that's the idea. It's like, this is a guy who's, like like... Confused as to why like, he he can't process the fact that people think that he killed his wife. And, and but also, he just saw his wife. He just saw her like three hours before. Right. And he comes home and his life's completely turned upside down. And he, I'm sure he doesn't even know what he's thinking or what he's doing. Right, right. So yeah, like it's he should have asked for a lawyer. Like like he should have asked for a lawyer before they even started questioning him because right. he's completely he's completely like defenseless. Right. Um. So you know, they, they of course they board the bus, and it's a spectacular stunt scene. And the fact that they still have that uh, Dillsboro, yeah, in North Carolina, they have it still there. The train and the bus. A, so the the two most iconic scenes are the train and the dam. The most, yes. and I'm and when I say iconic, like the with the most time what people Images. think about from the fugitive combined costs like three and a half of the forty four million dollar budget just doing those just those action sequences themselves. I like guess just the stunt work and everything, the costs involved. It's like three and a half of the $44 million budget. This movie goes on to make 368 I think. Yes. And it's I, I'm, it's incredible. It's still making money. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, those that, that train, the train bus sequence is really 
Also really well edited. Yeah. Yeah, just like trying to watch that. And, and this is, uh, not to, to pull back from the TV show, Richard Kimball's biggest uh, like problem his, his, in the TV show and the movie, his, his, his real undoing would always come from wanting to help people. And that is a, a current that runs throughout the entire movie, which is great. He almost like loses his freedom time after time again because he just can't help but be a doctor. Right. And so then Tommy Lee Jones comes in, and I find that this is great. This is really great because it's like Harrison Ford. It's like I automatically will root for him. It doesn't matter. And what lies beneath, yeah, he's innocent. Like I don't care. <laughs> but Tommy Lee Jones is so good in this movie, I almost want him to catch Richard Kimball. And it's not even it, it, like Tommy Lee Jones is it, he's enough, but his team, and this is where the you know they kind of run away with it late, you know in later years, but that team of people that he has is so much fun to watch. And you know what's awesome is that there's so much fun, and yet we don't have to sit there and learn all their names. No, because I don't know their names. I know Cosmo and Newman. Cosmo, I know right, and that's it. That's but, what's kind of neat. But that's really because they gave Pantoliano a bigger role in the next one. Right. But uh, no, like that's. The, the dynamic he has with Joe Pantoliano is really good. Like, the, the movie's just chemistry about This is an anti- Like, usually this role is typecast as, like, dreadfully serious. Yeah, hard. The TV show. That's the problem. And you had mentioned, and it very much draws parallels to Javert from Les Miserables. Yeah. Like, it's the same. Because in that, it's Stone Cold serious. And, God, it's terrible to compare Russell Crowe to Tommy Lee Jones. But, you know, it... That's that's the whole point. It's like it's a guy who's so dedicated to to doing his job, which in this case is getting a guy. And in that case, but the only difference is John Valjean actually did commit a crime. He he yes, stole he bread, so like he actually did break. Like, but of course, like we as readers and the audience are like, oh, I mean, it was just bread and he's starving you know he's trying to get it to his kid i mean that's our that's just how... trying to make some money leave him alone <laughs> <laughs> happy gilmore that's a great <laughs> always but uh, uh, this made me think of you when harrison ford's doing his disguise bit he disguises himself as evil harrison ford yeah, he, he does slicks his hair back <laughs> <laughs> regarding Henry, I do love that. I love the because I, I I think back to when I first saw this movie. I think this is the first time I ever saw Harrison Ford in anything, and uh, this is my introduction to him. So when he shaved that beard off, I mean, I thought he was completely How unrecognizable. I, I thought that was brilliant that they did the reverse because they were like, okay, it looked too goofy for you to put like a fake beard on. So why don't we have you grow the beard and That's then brilliant. and then shave it to be your disguise? Absolutely, because they couldn't do what the show did. The show just had him dye his hair. And he had to he had to regrow it for reshoots. Yeah. And it, yeah. this was a movie in 73 days. <laughs> Harrison Ford, man. <laughs> I mean, the the writing the writing is something like, yes, Jeb Stewart is credited. Yes, uh, David, David Toy mm-hmm. is, is, is credited. But let's face it. Like, this is a movie that is just constantly just kind of, what do we need to do in the scene? Tommy Lee Jones kind of comes up with his own lines because yeah. that's pretty much what they've, uh, multiple times it's mentioned that he improvised multiple oh, scenes. Oh, the, the, the sprinkled donut line. There's no way that was written. Oh, no, not at all. It's way too off the cuff and unimportant to what's going on in the scene. Um, and that's another thing, too, is trying to figure out in the movie, okay, where did they decide how they were going to end this? Because as the movie goes along... Uh, as much as I love this movie, there are certain little gaps in logic that I find, particularly with the character of Dr. Charles Nichols. Uh, he's the one... Nichols. Well, and... Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, I actually wrote notes this time, like because I was paying attention to his lines. Uh, he, sa- he asked, first of all, when he first bumps into Richard, he asks, how can I help you? Which I was like, okay. But then he says, do you have a place to stay? Why would he ask him that if he was guilty? I will say... 
he doesn't like, and I think a conversation we had off air is correct. I'm sure at one point in the movie he was not. I don't think. Yeah. The because the, the whole pharmaceutical thing gets roped in very late in the game. Right. It it is like a now it's in the flashbacks. It but the flashbacks come later. Right. I wonder if these were the reshoots. Possibly, yeah. Because it was almost like. Well, it's just too plain for him just to go get the one-armed man. Like, well, there's got to be a little bit well, extra. And I'm glad that they the did it that way. Because yeah. uh, the TV show, that's all it was. It was a, a home robbery gone wrong. To your point, though, about Nicholas, is, like, he comes across as very amiable. Like, very, like, friendly. Like, yes, he wants to, to Richard. Yeah. To Sam, it's different. Right. And that's why, like, I, I'm, what I think is kind of, kind of brilliant. I don't think he's a great actor. Just, no. I, I, he, he's all right. He's all right. But I, like, I imagine he wasn't the first choice. But the one thing I'll say it's remarkable is that your first time watching it, it he really doesn't have any inclination. There's no inclination from the audience. It's like, oh, yeah, that's guy oh, did it. Th- that's it. I mean, there's the one line of dialogue that feels a little strange during the uh, during the fundraiser where he says, oh, Richard, here's your keys. Thank you for letting me borrow your car. Yeah. Like, what's that? I'll tell you, that's not something I, I – it took me a few viewings to catch that because it's just really thrown in at the end of that. You wouldn't pay attention to that the first time you saw yeah. it. You wouldn't think anything of it. And the callback is – Later on. Like almost two hours later. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> made by Gerard, which who knows when he figured it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, boy. Let's see. Uh, like, like, once again, Nichols telling Gerard things like he's innocent and uh, – oh, is he smarter than you? Oh yeah, yeah, he is smarter than me. There's things like that. Now, now, the, now, the, the 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 thing about his acting that I think gets a pass for me in this movie is honestly uh, the way Tommy Lee Jones reacts to him, because like his little smart ass ways of like he's like, oh, you you must be you seem pretty desperate, Lieutenant Gerard. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's great acting from Tommy Lee Jones to kind of downplay him. So I I think that kind of helps save that performance in a way. It's the same way he downplays Sheriff Rogers. I know it's, it's Sheriff, uh, Rollins, Sheriff Rollins, but, but he got, <laughs> the same way he downplays him, he's like, man, this is my, hey, this is my crime scene. Okay. I will be with you. Yeah, in, in it's just perfect. A, okay. It, it's so <laughs> the way he good. reacts to that. It's so, the way he just instantly comes in there, and, de- and I'm going to call him Smikowski because that's what I think of from Office Space. Yeah. And he's only credited as old guard. He has no... That's it? Yeah. Just... <laughs> But uh, I love how he completely unravels that dude's story. You want to change your bullshit story. Right. <laughs> I love when we found leg irons. Does that any leg I, I think I really, and and leading up to the show, the journey this movie takes, because trying to figure out, geographically speaking, what happens with this movie is wild. Yeah. Because the one of the problems is they use locations that are from North Carolina. Which really make it difficult when you're trying to plot this thing on a map, which is why in God's name, William, are you plotting this out on a map? But, like, I want to know because it's fascinating. I got to know. It's fascinating how this guy, like, all of a sudden, like, this thing happens and his action is, like, I got to get to Chicago. So how does he do it? The one place we were told is that they're going to Menard. Menard, Menard. Illinois is where they're taking the bus. They're... I do want to point out, I never caught the line before, but he says, oh, we're going about 30 miles an hour. We should be there in about 40 minutes or something. And then the, the guard gets stabbed. Or no, no, it was, it's before the guard gets stabbed and the, and, the, uh, and the prisoner is throwing up. And he's like, no, 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 don't help him. Don't help him. We're almost there. Yeah, it's You literally you just, just said, said you're 40 exactly. minutes away. So he doesn't care about anybody. Basically, in, the, in Menard, I'm not... I'm, it's fairly close to the Missouri border. That's why when he says St. Louis on the phone, it's not that much of a stretch. But the, the, the pay phone gives it away. Right, of course. Yeah. But, like, for him to say he's in St. Louis wouldn't have been that much of a stretch. Cause 
honestly, St. Louis from the minority is not like ridiculous. So it's know. closer than it was in Chicago was. So the movie starts in Chicago. Where is he tried? He's, See, that's the part that gets tricky. Where is he tried? Because we don't know where he technically leaves. Because his thing says Illinois Department of... It's Illinois Department of Corrections. Uh-huh. But, well, if you look it up, like you can find multiple kind of... You could... That could be Springfield. Right. But in the end, like it's really not... All we know... And, and the thing is, when they give that 40 minutes out, well, that could be like 30 minutes into the journey. They say we're 40 minutes out. So right. it's really hard to figure out where they Because they're start. not actually in North Carolina. Like no, 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 no. They're supposed to be in Illinois. And the idea is the the pretty much the wreck and everything. Kimball's on foot somewhere in like basically southeast Illinois. Chicago is all the way at the northeast. It is five and a half hours. Five and a half hours from that. Basically where that site is okay. to get to Chicago. And then you throw in the thing about the dam, the dam, because like he, you have the 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 first encounter in the small town hospital, which, yes, which is great. But then Every after time the, I look in the mirror, pal, it's one of the. It's awesome. Well, that's a gamble. Why would you say God, that? God, that's a gamble. Why would you say that? Wow. that's crazy. That's some, he's so confident. Yeah, doing, and it. he kind of laughs it off. Yeah, <laughs> just like that's really stupid. So. But once again, that's him helping somebody. Right. Yeah, you know, he's just tell him he's got a little... The part that shocks me, like, like Kimball's just resiliency is... I'm just... I don't know if it is the Mississippi River, but that's the river that kind of runs down. Like, and, and the reason I say it's a river is because with the dam and everything, the way it's flowing, like it, it looks like it flows into a river. So I just kind of called it... And I looked up what the temperature roughly is, like in March. Yeah. A high maybe 40 degrees. So... <sighs> How Richard Kimball avoids hypothermia after jumping is insane. and of course surviving the jump like yeah, the jump alone. I I do I did justify it, but my justification is terrible. The water broke his fall. I mean, he, he gets caught up in the stream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and just it's stupid, but it's like God, he's only one in a million can make that I mean, jump. There are people that have like jumped from bridges and they have survived. Yeah, Golden so Gate. it's not impossible. But right. like, but he didn't it, break any. Kind of the way it looked. It, <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> If they'd held the, ca- the the camera a little bit longer, I mean, it looks a little goofy, yeah. but it's so iconic. Right, right. You know, it was in the trailer. It and, was the selling point. And so it they they don't the movie doesn't get stuck in the weeds of all right, how does he get there? Well, he just gets there. Okay, he just gets right. to Chicago. We just need to that's get him to important. Chicago, mm-hmm. and that's where it just gets really fascinating. How he has to figure out how he can st- track down this killer. Like like that's what's so cool is like. This guy has no second thought about what he's going to do now that he's free. Well, I actually... I, Which makes you kind of wonder if Richard had some kind of thought about getting out. <laughs> because... Oh, okay. Because the thing is, like, it's not like he takes a moment like, well, now that I've got this newfound freedom here all of a sudden, maybe I can head down to Key West and do something down there. No, I'm going to go get my wife's killer, which and is... my wife. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. like, and, and obviously it's the Fair right money. choice, of course. But, like... I don't know. We'll get into that in the book because I have some questions about that. But sure. anyway, um, all the stuff in Chicago is fantastic. Uh, all the, of that the, the is Cook, good. The Cook County Hospital sequence yeah. is actually like, this is a little lame. I, I get a little emotional watching that scene with him and Joel, yeah. the little boy. Yeah. And it's all Harrison. I, well, and, and the way the little boy's vocalizing his lines is really like heartbreaking. But it's this weird, like, 
He calls him son, and then he like touches his face very light, very lightly. It's the best aspects of the TV you show. Remember you play some football there? Yeah, but p- football, I'm, baseball. I'm stereotyping here, but you know, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie was really wise. I'm actually kind of glad they've never released the deleted scenes from the movie uh, because of the whole subplot that we've heard about with Julianne Moore. That they wanted to do it twice, and then they're gonna use uh. What's her name? Glee Lady. What's her? I forget. I'm blanking on her name. Oh, Jane Lynch. Yeah, they're gonna do the same thing. He with would her. never come here. That's not his style. The, Twenty minutes later. Yeah. God. Like <sighs> like twice they wanted to wanted to saddle him with a, a romantic. Those subplot. were always the crappiest episodes of the oh, TV yeah. show. Yeah, because it's like I don't care. It's like you want to see him avenge his wife. You know, it's like if he gets tied up with a girl, then Jesus, like it's a whole other thing. Yeah. No, because he can't have that. He's Richard Kimball. So, like, I think the movie was very wise just to trim that and cut that out. Even though it's funny to me that Julianne Moore gets a fourth billing, you know, even though she's in yeah. maybe two scenes. And it's funny because, like, she would do, I think, Roommates a year later with D.B. Sweeney, where she's a, a doctor in the Pittsburgh hospital. <laughs> it's, it's it's almost like she just got transferred. <laughs> right. It's funny. I love the way that Tommy Lee Jones, like, belittles her a little bit. Like,. <laughs> He's just like, oh, you notice that a, that a guy took the kid off and sent him somewhere he wasn't supposed to go, and all you can do is get him to stop and take his ID. He says something like that, and just like, Jesus, man, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> he does things in this movie. Like, one of the my favorite choices he does, when he sees Nichols, like, at the, I don't know if it's at the convention, I feel like it's at some kind of convention, and he stops, it's the second time he sees him. Mm-hmm. It's the second time he sees Nichols. Dr. Nichols, hi! And he's with this oh. other dude. And he puts the guy's got these Coke bottle glasses. He puts his badge like completely in his face because he can't see. And I was like, that's such a good choice. And it's so subtle that you miss it. One but thing, it's good. one thing that that Atlantic article. I mean, the, the 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 great. It's a great article anyway. But the one thing that really stuck out to me was how uh, they pointed out that pretty much anything you need to know about the Gerard character is when he says your fugitive's name is Doctor Richard Kimball, with the way that he says Doctor and the way that he bobbles his head. He doesn't care about. Any rank, any authority, uh, he just cares about his job. So, and that's why like he can match wits with someone like Nichols. The, the scene that really sets a, this really adds the, the best layer to his character is the Copeland cat, the Copeland killing scene, where like they man, they, they, I think that's his character's name, right? Copeland yeah, Copeland. The, the, it's a psych out scene. They make it sound like it's Kimball that they're going after, and then they come to find out it's Copeland. And I actually love this scene. Because it's completely unnecessary to the movie. Like, it doesn't really do anything for the movie other than inform us what kind of lengths Gerard's willing to go to. to not not just to get his man, but protect his team. It's It pretty much really just brings the character as a whole together. And it's only about 30 minutes into the movie. Yeah. You know everything about this guy and what, and what he's going to do and what it takes for him to do his job. It's fantastic when you get to the ending. Because... Somebody else has the... Gerard gets the drop on this guy and pops him without hesitation. Nichols has the yes. drop on him and somebody else has to save Gerard. And that's what... That's brilliant. That's why that scene is so good is that it sets that up. Because remember what he says? Like, it, 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 I don't bargain. Yeah, I don't bargain. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, man. It's a great line. Yeah. And I love that too. Richard spends most of this movie saving everybody. And the last person he saves is Gerard. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like, yeah. It's a, it's it's a great storytelling, and uh, but I mean there are these moments where I'm I've always tried to figure out because Gerard's my favorite one to pick out. When does he know? When does he know for a fact that Kimball is uh, innocent? Because he starts getting suspicious during the hospital scene. Like that's when he's really suspicious. Like why would he risk everything to come down here? And then of course they see that guy with the one arm. 
and that, that almost becomes an incident in and of itself. But man, we're here. Might as well talk. It's a little. Str- <laughs> I love that. Oh, guy. oh, oh, that guy. Um, <laughs> Clive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that that's yeah, that's Richard. But yeah, when when Tommy Lee Jones figures that out, it's like, oh, maybe he's you know questioning whether or not uh, K- uh, Kimball did it. But no, the Kimball escapes the Cook County Hospital, and Gerard takes a shot at him. Like two of them, he could have killed him. Because he was aiming for his head, and he hits the uh, the bulletproof glass, and it's like I thought we were like making a connection here with. I think it's once he gets to the once he's going through the pictures, is when he really like when they, yeah that's a big one when like Lutz, Lutz Lentz Lentz Alec Lentz yeah. Doctor Kimball. <laughs> I feel like that's when he starts to really like this Nichols because the first Nichols conversation really just makes it look like Nichols is his pal and he's covering for him right. But then once he figures out the second one, I mean, if you're paying very close attention. They give it away in that second scene. Nichols flat out lies about not knowing Lentz. Right. I've never seen that band before in my life, or whatever he says, and it's yeah. like, oh, here we go. We'll play some tennis. I, I, I find this kind of fascinating. So Richard takes a hell of a gamble going to Sykes' apartment and because it's surrounded by cops, and he sees that. But what I want to know is when Sykes gets out of his apartment, to avoid, and, he, and he completely avoids detection, he waits for fire trucks to show up. Which I have a feeling he... How did they get the fire trucks out there? Yeah, like that's oh, my yeah. question. Because oh. I was like, like, what do they do? Fake a fire? Uh, like, because the fire trucks block the cop cars yeah. from seeing. Oh, I mean, dude, you can, I mean, you can get the fire. You can get fire out there. Like, I mean, you just yeah. call them. I mean, like, you just do a nine one one call. It's like, and they and they break out. Well, I mean, who did it? Did he set it up? I, I think uh, Nick. I think Nichols did that. Probably. Yeah, because because uh, that's another thing that I was kind of confused about always with this movie is what's the plan here. Like, I mean, why thing, do they let Kimball get now, away with now so one much? Now, that's kind of a leap is that, like, they, they're probably a little bit more of a... I, I, you'd, think, you'd figure there'd be a little bit more cooperation between the branches of, the, of public safety, but... Yeah, and there's none. Um, this movie really does seem to have a vendetta against the Chicago PD. It's They make them There is a stupid. weird sub, subtle, subtle subplot about jurisdictions mm-hmm. and... Arrest us. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> for one thing, the marshal just walk all over everybody. Yes. But... Mm-hmm. There is some stuff with the Chicago PD. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Um, I I do love the final confrontation in the uh, in the subway with with or, or the bus or the L. It's an L uh, between Kimball and and Sykes. It's great. I pointed we, we talked about it off air. I love that Kimball is really desperate and in and in need of of moving on. Yet still finds the time to deliver one of my favorite Harrison Ford one liners ever with you, Mister Stop. And it's like, dude, get off the L. And that's a great scene. There's so many great sequences. I love that scene when they're discussing whether or not Chicago has an elevated train. You know, like with the team. Like I love that whole dialogue. Yeah. And and just and with them turning up the volume and the movie is never not interesting. The movie doesn't take a long time to pause. Like, no. I think that's one thing the article mentioned never as well. Is like, it never, it never stops. For me, like one of the most exciting moments is when uh, Gerard s- spots Kimball at the um, at the Cook County Jail, and you know, just yells Richard as like a trick, and the music because that's another thing I got to point out. This is probably my favorite James Newton Howard score. This score is relentless. Like, this is great jogging music because you feel like you're being chased. <laughs> like, it's it's fantastic, especially in that scene where uh, they they chase each other through the uh, through the jail, and Richard is brilliant with how he deals with that. There's a crazy man with a gun. And yeah, that's so good. And this is great too because that's the St. Paddy's Day parade that they do out there. Those those 
they film that on a whim. Yeah. And, and those people are those are genuine reactions. I love watching people when they spot Harrison Ford. Yeah. And they figure it out. They don't spot Tommy Lee Jones. Nobody knows who he is for some reason. Right. But everyone knows Harrison Ford. And like, man, that was Harrison Ford, man. Shit. He's hanging out with the is it the Plumbers Union? Is that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's yeah. Awesome. And there's great little bits of dialogue. And like what the movie does a great job with time. Like it, when you anywhere there's a date, like things match up. Like the um. The incident in the hospital, and I believe it's, I can't remember if it's the Julia Moore scene. Or maybe it's the, uh, no, it's got to be the Jane Lynch scene. On on the file, you see the date, and it's two days after the right. St. Patrick's Day parade. Because St. Patrick's Day, what I, you can look it up and find specifically what day it was in Chicago in 92. Oh, that's great. It matches up perfectly. That's great. So, that's really well, good. So you take the one-armed man thing out, and it's like, well, what do you got left? Because that was always the, the deal with the show, and... So then it becomes this very, at the time, even as a kid, I thought, that's a little crazy. It's very forward-thinking, though, compared to we where didn't we're know now. That. Yeah, no, we didn't isn't that crazy? That. With, with pharmaceutical companies teaming up with hospitals in a scheme to basically just make money. I, I love that one line Nichols has about uh, RDU-90. He says, it has no side effects. Not none exactly what is this right <laughs> it's a blood of christ right <laughs> like that's crazy it wouldn't have side effects you chose poorly yeah <laughs> <laughs> chose another movie <laughs> i love richard though in that scene at the uh at the, at the convention that's all or nothing you know he's just like i'm just gonna show my face and cross my arms and let everyone know that richard kimball's in the house and 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 it's it's such a great harrison ford scene and just and how harrison ford he is during that yeah you switch the samples yeah. yeah, you kill Lentz too. You find this man. Like that's great stuff too. Cause um, I picked up on it this time. After he's on when he when he's first on the run, he's kind of just trying to get away. Just trying to get away. And then after the river jump or the, the dam jump sequence, when he falls asleep, that's when he has the dream about the one armed man and you find that man. And, and it's like he's talking to himself right. to, motiva- to motivate himself. And then he, and it's this great symbolism of, of him walking into a dark tunnel of the unknown. Right. And just like, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, just, the movie is just a trip. It's so much fun to watch. It's so compelling. And it has it, it really no reason to be, considering you know the, the gluttony of, of TV-turned movies that we got in the 90s, two, only two of which I really thought well, three technically, I guess. The Adam Sandler was pretty good, along with uh, Mission Impossible. But um, but nothing could come close to this. I mean, this movie was huge. I remember everyone had this on VHS. Yeah. Like this was like it was like this Home Alone and I don't know maybe Free Willy. Like everyone, a lot of people had that. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> you, I had Forever Young, man. You said, uh, I did too. <laughs> but a lot of people, I mean, I, I've never met anyone who didn't like this movie. Like, that's another thing. Yeah. I can't I can't think of, I mean, there's plenty of people who don't care for you. It's un-American, Charlie. It kind of is. <laughs> no, it's, it's a very interesting movie. It has a lot of things to say about pharmaceutical companies, which is very odd. And it's a miracle that that plot line actually holds up in some way. You know, as like... For a movie that was being written as it was being filmed, it all kind of makes sense. Yeah. At the end. It does, yeah. Which is great. But the one thing that really aggravates me, that really pisses me off, is once again the Chicago PD. Richard Kimball, are you telling me Richard Kimball is a better detective than anyone you have? Exactly. He literally was able to narrow it down to five people. This was my first. So I have my list of questions for you that I like to ask right. periodically with these movies. This oh, was. Let's have at it. 
Is this a movie that makes you distrust detectives in the investigative process? Absolutely, because like, right from right from drop, I mean, right, he's guilty to them. Yeah, and I mean, like, I try to put myself in the shoes of it, where it's like, you know, generally speaking, the, te- the good, very good detectives have instincts. They have instincts where it's like, okay, you kind of, you kind of know how these things work out. Whenever you have like a, a murder of this, you have a you have a wife that's murdered, half blah blah blah. Okay, you've got inheritance. That's one of the things you look at. You try to find sure. motive. You try to find all these things for motive, and you you look for probably the easiest possible thing, and that's usually it. Well, they try to say that nine times out of ten, the husband did it. Right. Like that's another thing. And then like they rope in this weird thing, like oh yeah, he was a doctor. She had more money. He's a, well, that's a great line that Gerard has. What do you mean he? What do you mean he, she was more rich? He already had money. Yeah, but she was more rich or whatever that line is. Yeah. He's like, okay. So, Devlin McGregor. My next uh, next question. The actor's name, by the way, the old guard, it's Richard Real, I think. Richard Real. Mm-hmm. Do you think he gets his pension? Because... <laughs> I think he gets suspended. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't... Um, I think he may be gone. First of all, he's a moron. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. What? He's what, such a heel. What made... He is, he's great at it. But the character is really dumb. What made... What compelled him to say that Richard Kimball pr- is probably dead? They're gonna find a body, right? It's not nine eleven. Yeah, this isn't so back in, so far back in the day where it's just we're like, well, yeah, it's a lost cause. This isn't like when the fugitive show is going on, right? Like they may have just well, they... <laughs> <laughs> looks Man, like I... we got them as well as they got us. You know the thing about leg irons? I love that. Oh, yeah, we're always <laughs> <Except> fascinated. <laughs> are Chuck Taylor standard issue apparel for? Uh, Illinois Department of Corrections prisoners. If you look closely, they were in Chuck's. There's the, there's one when the the shot when the, you can see the train coming at, at the I forget which prisoner it is. Maybe that Dexter looking dude. That <laughs> I, I I just call him Dexter. He looks just like Michael C. Hall. The guy, the guy, the guy who's vomiting. Yeah. Okay. If you look at the guy's shoes, when the, the train's coming, at, it's like those are Chuck's. Good for him. <laughs> I mean, you probably not gonna do him any good now, but. Was Richard Kimball friends with anyone in the joint? This is my most fascinating See, thing. I've never thought of that until you brought it up a couple days ago. Uh, because I just kind of just took it for granted, you know, that he just knew how to do this stuff. But then I started paying attention. He knows how to, he knows how to make a fake ID really well. Uh, he, he knows how to I fight. Swear, I think he knows something is going to happen on that bus. Because he looked, the Dexter the look, look, I guess I'm going to call Dexter. Like maybe like, you're, I thought it was called off. Yeah, I, Dexter yeah. looks at him. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then, he and then Coleman back. looks at him and like, shut up. Yeah, and, and Richard, of course, doesn't do anything. Right. Which is the right move. Right. He needs to get out. And he, Harrison Ford is very subdued in it. It's just sort of like, oh. It's his eyes. And once then, again. And, yeah. And then he really only reacts once, like, the guy gets stabbed by the, the, the ship. There's that, and I love Harrison in that. He's like, unlock shank. me! Is Shank the object or Shiv the action? Sh- no, it's sh- Shiv. That's the, that's the object, isn't it? It's a Shiv. Shink, yeah, it's a ship. Okay, all right. So we're not Richard Kimball, but I love the unlock me bit, and of course, real doing the, you know, give me some, give me a hand with this man, and just, oh, the hell with you. (laughs) Oh, and you pointed it out too, and it it is such a cliche, but it wasn't to me back then. If there's ever like a bus transporting people, speed, uh, or anything like that, who usually. The first or second person to get shots, the bus driver, yeah. and, and, the, and, <laughs> and they're they immediately. <laughs> True lies. That's another one. <laughs> they never lean into the break. <laughs> it's always funny. How confident are you telling another man his flies down? 
If I'm a cop and he's a doctor, yeah, it's a okay. You can go in that scenario. Like I, I, I wouldn't. I've do never it. done. I wouldn't do it. I just kind of like he'll I, figure it out. Yeah, hey, that's my whole mindset. <laughs> he'll figure it he'll out. Figure it out. Is the waterfall line of dialogue and the jump the best '90s trailer moment? And I would power rank this with the Independence Day White, White House, House. <laughs> White House getting blown up, and I'm gonna throw in it's another one: Darth Maul popping a double-bladed lightsaber in the Episode One trailer. That was pretty badass. If you had to rank those three, just real quick, like lowest, like three being the lowest, one being number one. It's not a question of quality of movie. No, no, it's just a trailer moment. Like you're like, oh my god, that's awesome. It, it would have to come number two to Independence Day. I I think you're right. When we saw that, it was, it was like, like oh my that God. was so mind-blowing. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, like I said, that waterfall jump, that sold the movie. Really, Dick, because I think it's the last thing you... Is it the last thing you see is the... I think so. Is his, his, yeah. his leap. Well, all right. Not taking into account U.S. Marshals. <laughs> Leaving that aside. What would Sam Gerard do in the aftermath of the future? Do you think he's still, like... Is this one of those cases where it's like, man, it makes me kind of wonder what's going on. Yeah, because this, um, this is his job. Yes. Is to hunt down fugitives. Right. And you get the feeling that he might have never have come across one that was innocent before. Like, I love that. Like, everyone talk, loves that line. I don't think necessarily for the right reasons, but I didn't kill my wife. I don't I don't care. care. Yeah. I love that line. I'm glad he fought to get that in Yes. Because that, and, and, and man, that is constantly brought up through the rest of the movie. I don't care, like the way the Harrison says it. But it says everything you need to know. Because he, he doesn't. He just wants to catch you. Like, that's right. it. That's, 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 that's what he's being paid for. Right. I, I honestly don't know. Um, whatever sequel you could have ever come up for this movie, it, like, especially me, it would have been different than what we got. Because that movie, it, it's not even a sequel. It's it's more of a of a standalone extra movie. Even though the trailer made it look like a sequel, I remember. Yeah, we've never seen anything like this before. I have. <laughs> they took two lines from two different parts of the movie and put right. them together. You know. So, what do you think Richard Kimball does in the aftermath of the future? I think I've been this trying is to figure this out. He can't go because, like, the, part of the problem. I don't think he can go back to being a doctor because I, the celebrity of it would just be so distracting. Well, there's, a, you know, America's a pretty sick place. Uh, there's going to be a, a group of people who believe he is guilty. Right. Like, that's one thing we never get to see in this movie is, like, the the free Richard Kimball and, no, like, The press seem to be, like, the Richard only Kimball. people. Like, They're giving the him movie, a fair shake. The pr- like, whoever the, the female woman? reporter, she's going after <laughs> yeah, those guys. Now, wait a minute. Now, you said this. Didn't you guys that? make a mistake? Like, yeah. she just flat out yeah. asked him. She was found guilty in a court of law. Okay, he's guilty. Oh! Oh, well, then. Well, well. <laughs> F me. Yeah. But no, uh, Richard, I'm trying to figure this out. Because what I, I figure this whole ordeal must have taken maybe two and a half, three years. That's what I'm thinking. Would would the state of Illinois reimburse him for all the... That's true. Would they reimburse him? That's yeah. a good question. Does he get that back? Uh, wh- what else? Does does he sue the state of Illinois <laughs> like, for not investigating this hard enough? Thinks- I feel like there's a cover-up somewhere oh, yeah. for, for how they couldn't get the Sykes. It doesn't make any sense. Right. If Richard could figure it out within, like, I'm going to steal this guy's ID. Well, we know this, Devlin McGregor is done. Oh, they're done. They're done. And that's a mass, because... Seven and a half billion dollars. That's the number. Yeah. That company's a monster. I mean... And that means two things. 
it's a big monster, but it's also, you know, it's evil. Yeah. Yeah, like, Gerard nailed it with that line. I think it could have made a... Like, the problem is, when you make a sequel to something like this, it has to be the same movie. I would have been very interested to see, like, Dr. Richard Kimball going up against... <laughs> Becomes the verdict. Yeah. <laughs> with, with Gerard being a witness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's part of me who wants to believe he just goes to Mexico and just... And just leaves. Yeah, he just yeah. leaves. Just gets away. Because never comes back. That is the fascinating by not introducing the romantic subplot. Like there's nothing left. Like there's right. no children. We don't get any of that stuff. That's true. And and I'll, I'll give it that. This will probably try to be the last time I bring up the TV show. That was the whole reason that she got killed in the in the TV show was that um, he wanted to have kids and she didn't, and he stormed out of the house in anger. Yeah. And when okay. he came back, she was murdered, and the one-armed man was in the street. They cut that whole thing out. And he, they seem perfectly happy without children, so that's great. And I'll, I'll give her this, too, because she's barely in the movie. But Cella Ward is, is wonderful. Oh, my God. She's wonderful in this movie. And she's gorgeous. She is. Oh, she is. She's oh, man. Eight, and, like, even today, like, there's still she looks the same. Like, she just aged very nice, very mm-hmm. well. And so is, of course, Julianne Moore. Oh, yeah. She, she does look the same to me. What is Nichols' plan? And I, I want to just want to circle back to this. Throughout the movie, once he sees Kimball, it like I'm trying to reason what this guy's. And we kind of touch on. I guess my bigger point: what is his plan once the he sees him at the convention? Like, what does he think is well, going to happen? Here? Okay, so Sykes basically. Okay, so let's try to let's talk this out. So Nichols uh, talks to that guy that works with the um, the black guy. I forget his name, but he. He mm-hmm. gets him to give clearance to the- Kimball. Okay. Is it Theodore? Yeah. Something like that? He gets him to give clearance to Kimball so that Kimball can come in, and it's like, why would he do that? But then you see Sykes up there. I think Sykes was supposed to take both of them out. Is he late? <laughs> he was late, because the U.S. Marshals show up. Right. You know, and, and he's peeking out from the corner. Yeah, it's, like, the cr- it's so ridiculous. It's not It's not really it needed. It just looks but, ridiculous. But... It, but it, but, but I get the idea. But it helps explain what Nichols is doing. Yeah, and then there's true. that scene where Sykes is like, I can't find him. Like, I don't know where... Wait, I spotted him. And just, yeah, I'll take care of it. Help click. The convention is so funky, though. He's expecting Richard to be dead. But, like, okay, so... It's like he tries to talk him down. That's not working. Richard, so then, in the what, so what's it going to be? I'll just bash him with a chair. Dude, it's incredible. The, the thing that's more incredible to me is that nobody follows them. No. That's a convicted murderer following the esteemed Dr. Charles Nichols. Right, who just gave you and, the RCP-90. Or, <laughs> <laughs> I know the gun from What? <laughs> RD Provasic. <laughs> you switch the samples. That's... By the way, did they... They use so much budget on like action stuff that like the the you know when they any any of these science movies where you have to have a shot of what they're looking at in the microscope, it's a piece of paper like it's clearly just a piece of paper with huh. stuff on there. I mean, it's nothing. It's really clever, and it's like, at least the way that the story goes that Nichols is going to basically make a fortune. Yeah. Off, off of doing this, and and he needed. And he's on the board of directors. He's now. on the board of directors, which is brilliant. Which means he, which means he probably took a bribe. And Devlin McGregor, which Sykes works for, and Lentz worked for the hospital. It's a really clever story if you take the time to understand it, because it's almost at Mission Impossible levels of. I'm, whoa, I'm almost losing it. One of the things I I kind of question Devlin Devlin McGregor if you're gonna have you know if, if you're gonna have some guy who takes care of people because I have a feeling that. Uh, uh, Helen is this, this Helen? Is mm-hmm. Helen is not the first person that Sykes has probably snuffed out. I don't did, think so. Did, are you really gonna pin the hopes that this something's gonna get accomplished? Kind of has one arm. Yeah, it, it kind of seems a little dicey. 
Oh, of course. It seems but like... But you gotta stay true to the uh, TV show. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, because... He barely makes that... <laughs> Dude, he'll... No, like... Kimball almost kills him. I know. And he looks pretty winded when he gets down those oh, stairs. Oh, dude, the hair, I mean, he, he really... He gets a hell of a haircut. Yeah, he... No, and... Oh, it's so good. I love that one part where Kimball's looking at the arm like, what the hell is that? And then, and then it punches him in the face. I do have a very hard time believing that he has no idea what prosthetics are. He's a doctor. A really good... Cardiovascular and, surgeon. Cardio... It's not... I mean, I get it. Like, podiatrists don't understand stuff that's going on with, like, you know, things in the heart or whatever. I get it. I get it. But he has absolutely no clue. Like it, it, this, con- this he idea had a mechanical a- arm. Right. It's like this is a foreign concept. But but they counter that though. Like he reads the book in a day, like Iron Man. It's like oh, I, astrophysics. I just went ahead and yeah, I understand it. And I <laughs> fell asleep with it, so I absorbed it. I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, would you write a speech accepting an award on a piece of notebook paper? Is that what that is? Nichols has a piece of notebook paper. Richard, I'm in the middle of this. I was like, are you kidding me? I didn't notice that. It's so funny to me. It's like, Nichols really phoned this in. He's like, all right, I got to go do this thing. Paycheck. (laughs) Um, How satisfactory is the ending? And the only reason I say it is like, it does feel like though, like everything gets wrapped up. Yes. But it does feel like there's this weird Nobody dies. Right. You know what I mean? It, I guess where I'm, it, this ties back into the, the whole wrongfully accused. Of course, that's funny using that because of the movie. But it just seems like... <laughs> what, was, what, was, what was Leslie Nielsen's name I in that? Think. It was like Richard Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> it was an awesome name. <laughs> anyway. It just seems slightly unsatis- unsatisfactory because you see those reporters grilling those cops. But you don't really it, see any real comeuppance. Yeah, that's what's unsatisfactory, is that Richard never... We never really get to see Chicago PD just eat it. You know, because they're still saying it. They're still saying it as uh, after Gerard and Kimmel make peace. The, the Chicago PD, those two jackass cops, are still saying, no, he's still guilty. You know, but you have a one-armed man in custody. Well, we don't know who the hell that guy is. Yeah, I know. There's like 47. What, what was it? Yeah, it's 47. <laughs> then it, Clive Driscoll. <laughs> Maybe you got no TV in here, man. I mean, hey, man, we might as well talk. I do love Kimball. He's like, listen, pal, I'd love to, but I just can't. (laughs) (laughs) This is a mistake. I love the moment he sees me. When he first sees him walk in. (laughs) 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 No, I screwed up. Worst death, Helen Kimball or Richard Kimball's beard? (laughs) Because that is an awesome beard that just gets assassinated. Harrison looks great with a beard. in, in In a sink. In a local community, I tell you hospital. what gets what's the worst murder is that old man's appetite. <laughs> <laughs> I always felt better. Richard's just, dude, the intensity. I'm trying to figure it out because he's moving the eggs onto the pieces of bread, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna eat the. I always expect him to eat the sandwich, but nope, the it smash cuts to. <laughs> I like pudding. <laughs> You like it? You ever seen Regarding Henry? <laughs> I like the movie called Mosquito Coast. Did you see? Um, Best cameo, Rich or Harrison Ford's pointing at Nichols at the very end. Okay. Or his punch from across the train car at Sykes. Oh, the punch from across the train car is <laughs> so great. good. He cocks it so yeah. well and just bam. It's like he figures out, I can do this. This is yeah. one of my Harrison Ford. He, he learns how to become Harrison Ford. That's why, because I know he points earlier in the movie, obviously, with you find, you find this, this man. But he doesn't. He, the one he breaks out in the convention hall where he's like, you switch the samples. You switch the samples. <laughs> you just, 
Did you kill Lance too? <laughs> so good. I love when Nichols puts his hand on his shoulder to try to calm him down. What are you thinking? I, I like, know. He's completely turned on you. What, when does the crowd gasp? What oh, it's it? when Richard swipes yeah. his hand away. Oh, oh, oh God, Th that convicted murderer just, <laughs> just swiped that man's hand away. Why, Helen? <laughs> Would you let Richard Kimball give you a haircut? Because his looks awesome. It's amazing. Like, it's really good. The way he slicks it back. Because he's not dumb enough to go get his haircut. That would be so stupid. <laughs> but, no, it's great, and um, let's talk about the hair continuity here yeah, for a second. So, so he dyes his hair black, which I think this is the only movie I've ever seen with Harrison Ford with black hair. Looks good in black hair. Looks really good. And then about halfway through the movie, he just all of a sudden has his Harrison Ford hair again, which can only tell me that <sighs> reshoots or something happened here. Because I, mean, I want to say reshoots, but there's still like an hour left of movie. Yeah. And it's not like it's haphazard throughout the movie that the hair keeps changing color. No, literally at the halfway point, he's back to his regular hairstyle. Yeah. And this was after, I guess, Gerard sees him without the beard, so he's just, oh, what the hell? What did he do? Re-dye his hair back to its original color? Kimball! <laughs> Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. I like your thing. <laughs> going black. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's one of the funniest things. Good knowing that he would buy the box, but not realize. What he bought. This is what I need. <laughs> he becomes LeBron James throughout the rest Should of the Should we clear that up? <laughs> what, what we're talking about? Why? No, why? Because <laughs> it'd be, you know, if he bought the wrong box. But like, I mean, like, for like but we, we haven't discussed, like, why, like, what that joke's, like, origin is. What? What's the. Oh, what's the origin? Well, because it's a, it's a, it's hair dye, but it's a picture of a black guy on the front smiling. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's idea I like the, the idea that Richard would think, oh, I'll just turn myself into a black guy. <laughs> like, cause that would be the next step. Well, wouldn't that have You been... can't just shave your beard and, you know, will, you gotta go blackface. I will become him. I will become him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just... So the idea of Harrison Ford running around Chicago in blackface, avoiding Tommy Lee Jones, just really makes me laugh. <laughs> okay, um, the nine one one call. I know you've always had a problem with that. It's weird. It doesn't like. I don't understand what Sykes is doing. Well, okay, so let's talk about that. Why is Sykes standing there waiting for her to finish? Yeah, it's like, is he coaxing her? Yeah, it was Richard. I'm Richard Kimball, your husband. Yeah, that that's that, that part I don't get. He's he's li he's literally like. He lets her call 911. I mean, he stops her from calling 911 at first and then bashes her head in. And I'm sorry, if Richard Kimball <coughs> had a good lawyer, he would point out, well, if she suffered a massive brain hemorrhage due to that crushing blow yeah. to the head, then you can't take anything she says seriously after after she's, you know, she's been hit in the head with that with that blunt object. Right. She yeah, can't do it's it. It's totally a botch. Like I I just it's but I, I agree with you though. Like I'm more bothered by Sykes still still being in there. Like Richard's downstairs. He's just stupid. Sykes is Why? a moron. He should have moved away. Yeah. He should have gotten a transfer. And the thing that's even more stupid is he's like, oh, I've already been through this with you guys before. I'm like, uh, what movie was this? Because right. how how did they investigate you and go, now nah, we got nothing? Right. It's so obvious that this guy's guilty. And like, because I have a mechanical arm. So it's, it's almost so like they, they took him seriously with the one arm thing, and like they. They like look go through the list. Like I'm curious well, how they got to him. Well, there's always that one part of. Well, that's the other thing too. It's like, well, here's a one-armed guy. Who do you work for? Devlin McGregor. <laughs> really? The 
the the pharmaceutical company that's working with Dr. Richard Kimball's hospital. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah. No. And and Kimball did way more work than that. But just that one little thing. That's. I mean, if you want to nitpick the movie, then yeah, I'd start there because that, it's it's bothersome. But yeah, I mean, obviously we we get through it and everything. And what's more important? What's more important is when you play it just out of like without seeing how it went down from like a juror's point of view or a judge's point of view if you just hear that man that's damning evidence what the, the 911 call yeah oh absolutely I mean, it's, it's just but worse but it just and harrison's great in that scene too yeah you know because it's i like to believe that's the first time he's heard it and and, and he's hearing his dead wife's voice for the last time yeah like that's great it's the great stuff that random answer where she slams the closet door shut like, oh yeah, so it, it becomes a horror movie for a little yeah. bit. Richard, yes. find that man. Yeah. You can tell, like, you can tell there are moments in the movie when they were filming, like, we don't know what to do. Richard just pass out in the woods. Richard, yeah, that or Cella, uh, why don't you, why don't you get on top of Harry over there? And... <laughs> because like, there's tons of that oh, yeah. with them being intimate. I love Harrison, like, like she's laying on the bed, and then there's like Harrison in his beard. <laughs> just, oh yeah. It's the last time you're gonna meet this beard. You're, Both of are gonna die by the end of this movie. <laughs> you ever seen Frantic? My final question is: Who is more in? If if you had to, if there was only one of these guys you could have gotten for the movie, is it Harrison Ford or is it Tommy Lee Jones? If you could only have one, who's oh. more important to be had to? Who's more important for the fugitive to still work? Even though we know it totally, it's not like it completely would because it's great. I think this movie could have been magnificent with Harrison Ford and Gene Hackman. I love that idea. Um, I'm curious. But I think Tommy Lee Jones and someone like, I don't know, Tom Hanks, Kevin Costner, you know, the guys that were big at the time, I think that could have worked too. If you had Tom Hanks and Kevin Costner in this. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) I don't care which one's which. (laughs) I know. They should do two different versions of the movie and release yeah. them both. Oh my god! Because the thing that the thing that's unique about I want to say that Costner was in the running for this. Uh, probably was. I'm almost. He was always was up for, for the same roles yeah. as Harrison was. Yeah. And I think he would have been just his. He would have been great. Because again, like this would have been great for Kevin Costner. Can you imagine Kevin Costner learning to become Kevin Costner in a movie? <laughs> Bodyguard Kevin. Yeah. Costner. Oh my god! Like by the end of the movie, shooting with his eyes closed. Just... <laughs> Popping people in the woods. That's the doctor. <laughs> Richard. <laughs> he grows an even bigger beard. So because he's Kevin Costner. Yeah, it's like a three-hour cut of the beard just coming down. Dude, oh my god, the Fugitive would be a three and a half hour movie. And that's Andy, just, you're doing it wrong. And that's just up to the train. <laughs> <laughs> we got to be faithful to the TV show. Um, uh, I, uh, I I think the Gerard one is harder to nail. Well, here's the thing. And that's why I've I, seen a fugitive movie without Harrison Ford. Like th- that's the one thing, and uh, and that's not Tommy Lee Jones's fault. Um, that's really a scripting issue, I think. Without Harrison, I don't think the movie works. And it's and it's also the chemistry between the two uh, actors that are basically in two different movies, but it feels like they're in the same movie. Yeah. That's the that's a real accomplishment. And like I said, Harrison, f- for me, this is the best thing he ever did. He I should have been nominated. Okay, that that was I. I, the only reason I didn't ask you because was you pretty much had said it earlier, and I, I think you're right. Like, out, and I, I kind of always throw the preface of like outside of outside of Indian, outside of Star Wars. Oh, is it the best? Is it the best like Harrison Ford movie? Bar none. Yeah, it's not even close. Yeah, I don't think. 
I mean, I understand. It's not people, Age of Adeline. I mean, I understand people that, that, that go to bat for Air Force One. I get it. I love Air Force One. But it's not The Fugitive. The Fugitive is... Here's the thing. Air Force One, as much as I love that movie, um, hasn't aged too terribly well, and it's cheesy. I was going to say that. And there's an awful effect think... shot. Yeah. There's an awful effect shot at the very end with an airplane. It's an, It looked bad in 97. They never bothered to fix it. I don't think there's anything cheesy about The Fugitive. I think this movie holds up so incredibly well. Of course, though, the number one guy who should have been is Kurt Russell. It would have been magnificent Richard Kimball. <laughs> Yes. He would have been a great Richard Kimball. Now, because if, if I'm thinking of his character in Breakdown... Because he's such a good... He's a great he, everyman. He's a... Yeah. I, I mean, to say he's an underrated actor, I'm pretty sure many people have he said is. Kurt Russell is. But he, he is. Like, At those least Harrison's scenes, been nominated. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, to have scenes of... The, those those scenes where you have to be like, I, I don't understand how this is all happening. Like, only a few guys can really nail that. Of course, Harrison Ford did. I no, think but Russell's another one. But. Russell and, and... If he... A variation of his character on in Breakdown, I think, would have worked very well as Richard Kimball. So, because I, I want to get back into the TV show stuff with the year 2000 and stuff, but just kind of quickly wrap up things on the movie side. What I think is fascinating, and this is what the article is really getting at, was that this was a movie that um, was unique in that it was it was it was an adult action thriller. You got to take it a step further though. Like this was a movie that, without the fugitive working, there is no Mission Impossible. That's because right. this is the whole thing. Okay, now we have a new thing we can tap into. Old TV shows. But then like you get the ones that don't work. Lost in Space. You get the Mod Squad. Was Avengers a... a yes. That was a TV... You get these things that just don't work that come out of it. But bad. Yeah. And, and this is a fad that lasted for a while. Like, the comedy side of things seemed to work at, like more in their favor with, what, Adam's Family, Bewitched. Brady Bunch. No, no, I'm no. Kidding, I'm talking about the 90s. Okay. Between Adam's Family and Brady Bunch. Brady Bunch is a huge movie. Yeah. That is huge. And the sequel was, too, now that I think of it. Yeah, like, those were both pretty successful, and so were the two Adam's Family movies, but, you know, like, this was a a trend that lasted a while. You're right, with Bewitched, Starsky and Hutch. Oh, yeah. Like, basically, all of your dad's favorite TV shows, yeah, they're gonna be, like, movies that you go see. Of course, Star Trek. I mean, like, that's always one to go back to, even though, like, it's weird, like... Over time, like it stopped being a TV franchise, it was like it, it was just strictly a movie franchise after a while. But that's uh, in circling back to the other premise of it being of this adult, like it's hard to say. And Taken's one of the ones I I go back. And Taken is no fugitive, like not it's not even close to being that good. I love Taken. It's a great movie, the first one. Right. It's another one of these like you've got a middle aged a middle aged guy in an adult type of action movie. And he's completely, you know, like, well, vulnerable in a way. Right. See, this is the problem with, um, not to get into U.S. Marshals yet, but it was very hard to sympathize with Wesley Snipes because he was an incredibly skilled, like, combat veteran. Right. It's like, dude, look at Richard Kimball. He's just a doctor. Right. You know, like, he doesn't have any experience in in these kinds of situations. I hate that that movie exists. It does kind of make you look differently at this first movie, um, which is weird to say. It's not like we were clamoring for a sequel to The Fugitive. Right. It's like, yeah. Even though it was huge. It was huge. Typically a movie that big, you but, do have a sequel in the pipeline. But it's like, man, this. But th- that shows you how much faith that they had in Tommy Lee Jones, uh, that, that he was so memorable and so good in that first movie. And granted, yes, he is great in U.S. Marshals. Man, and, and, and the... And boy, did they they just misjudge the popularity of Wesley Snipes because it had they peaked did. and it had fallen by that uh, by point. that point. Um, yeah, because yeah, what uh, he, I think that was the same year he did Blade. 
And I mean, okay, Blade, but Blade, that, but that, that extended his his shelf life. You know, this was like right after Money Train. Yeah. You know, movies like that where it was like, yeah, yeah I think like, we're a little... in, in, or was it Art of War? It's like, oh. That's God. 2002. That movie's god awful. That movie's really bad. Really just. But the real, movies. the real problem. There's two real problems I, I found with U.S. Marshals, uh, and they were that one, it sh- Wesley Snipes should have been guilty. He should have been guilty. Yes. That, how many innocent people does Gerard chase? It makes Gerard look stupid, which was the whole th- thing that made the first movie so great was that it made him look like a smart person yeah. as opposed to a TV show. And two, they, I'm sorry, like if I can figure this out at 11 years old, then you've got a problem. It was very obvious from the trailers that Robert Downey Jr. was the bad guy. It was so obvious. Yeah. And that's the one great thing that's come from U.S. Marshals is Robert Downey Jr. looking back on it and just his hilarious, like poignant insights into what an utter hell that that film was to make. Because what would he he'd be in prison for like twelve hours? They'd let him out to film U.S. Marshals. They'd put him right back in prison. Goes, Is that right? Yeah. Because wow. he said the last thing I wanted to do was leave prison to go play basically a cop. Yeah, he's like it was awful. He said it was the worst experience of his life. He said he should have never done it. And yeah, I I, I agree. And plus, I mean, it, like I said, it undoes certain things that the first movie did, like Noah, the character mm-hmm. that uh, Gerard saves in the first movie. Spoiler alert: axed. By Robert Downey Jr. in the second. Uh, I just now I mean, the movie's okay. I don't want to make it sound like I hate U.S. Marshals. There's certain things about it that I think are quite appealing, but uh, overall, though, uh, it, it would probably benefit the first movie much more if U.S. Marshals didn't exist. And Tommy Lee Jones, like his popularity, really is like like it's almost like it peaks with the Fugitive, and it feels like by the time U.S. Marshals, it's like probably don't have this guy leading these types of movies anymore. Right, because uh, that was, I believe, his follow-up movie to Men in Black. And Men in Black was like, for me at least, like the last real, oh, yeah, yeah Tommy Lee yeah. Jones, I'm in. You know, and then U.S. Marshals, and then you get that weird movie he did with Ron Howard. Uh, oh my God, missing. The Missing. Oh my Lord, that's terrible. Uh, the Hunted? The Hunted's with, fine. It's, it's Rambo. But, but like, but, exactly. It's Rambo, but like for people, that, uh, you know. Men in Black 2? Like, awful. Men yeah. in Black 3, which was the good sequel, which Tommy Lee Jones wasn't in and, and, <laughs> very much. And, and let's face it, No Country for Old Men is not Wonderful. remembered for well, him. Not, not so much for him. It's, for, it's, it's, well, for, it's remembered it's, for the ending for him. That's about it. Yeah, what does that mean? What yeah. did we just watch? It's yeah. a Coen Brothers movie. Go see more of them. So it's kind of the... That's what kind of the sad thing is that like the fugitive takes his career off and it feels like U.S. Marshals kind of careens it back into like mediocrity. He should have. He should have said no. I I remember yeah. reading this one thing that was really cool. Uh, Even though like he he's like since the fugitive he's been nominated Lincoln. again for Oscars. He's he's uh I, I mean I know he directed what in the Valley of Ela. Yeah, he was also in Man of the House. So, I mean he he did do that too. I mean, so I mean it's not like the guy went off a cliff, but you could see where the the. This was the wave. This was an easy payday. Like, I always remember the story with Joe Pantoliano. You know, he gets hit in the face by Charles Nichols by that thing. He demanded, like he begged and pleaded Andrew Davis to film a scene of him on a stretcher being carried out. Why? Because he was the only one who had the foresight to go, this movie's pretty good. This might have a sequel, and I want to be in it. I like how Celia Ward wanted to be in a coma. She wanted Helen to actually be in a coma so she could... So she could wake up at the end and, Richard! Or, be no. like, or because it could, again, be a sequel. She had the same thought. Honey, that's not how the fugitive works. That's like that's. Not... I have no problem with them changing certain things, but like that's without that death, there, there, there is no fugitive. Right. Like it, he, she has to die in order for the chase to begin. Right. You know. But um, so 
So we've talked about U.S. Marshals. Um, but the show, they, they tried it again. I, 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 not, watched, I watched a, it all of it. Not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea to try it again. Well, it was a cool idea because it's like, as much as, uh, the, the movie The Fugitive with Harrison Ford is my favorite iteration of the story. It, it, it's just perfect uh, from top to bottom. But I thought that, the, I, I think the concept works better as a TV show. Uh, and they tried this. And this was very interesting because I'll, I'll just talk on this a little bit. So this came out in 2000. You know, I remember watching it the night it premiered. I was so excited. It was the most expensive pilot that had ever been produced. It was $6 million. Wow. And do you know what, what uh, it was the lead-in for? It's in the year 2000. Yeah, the very forever? first episode, <laughs> the very first episode of The Fugitive was the lead-in for the very first episode of a TV show that nobody expected to do very well called CSI. Ah, I see. You can kind of see where this is going. Right. The Fugitive, uh, it basically was an updated, technology-ridden version of the 60s TV show mixed with the stunts and spectacle of the movie. That was the whole crux of it, and it had it had a, a decent cast. I don't want to say great. I like Tim Daly a lot, but I don't think he has enough range to play Richard Kimball. I think it's a very difficult character to play, and he was too stoic, or one note. Michael T. Williamson, pretty good Gerard, not bad. But, I mean, the, 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 the golden nugget of the series was Stephen Lang. He was my favorite one-armed man, because he was just evil. Great. And then it ends on one of the, the, most, con- like, one of the most infuriating finales ever, where Gerard gets murdered. Kimball gets killed. Like, it was just an unreal finale. And One-Armed Man was, like, once again, a pawn, which was hilarious. And then they canceled it, and CSI became a huge hit. And now it's like, well, what what, what happens to The Fugitive now? And um, they're talking about doing something with it, like, whether it's another movie, which I hope not, because you're never going to... No. It's a no. It's, it's just a great concept for a TV show. But like I was telling you in our two-hour phone conversation, yeah. uh, this cannot be... 120 episodes like the original show it can't even i don't even think it can be 21 episodes like the 2000 tv show cbs owns it don't they yeah cbs so, and paramount oh well, not paramount warner brothers owns the film rights to okay. the movie but, I, but it was a cbs show i have it probably gets on that whatever that new uh, direct that network cbs all access which seems to basically very, just be the home for rebooted tv shows right it, uh, it seems perfect to go there which That's sucks. not a bad idea, but yes, it does suck. Uh, because they're going to do exactly that. They're going to try and make it. Instead of just trying to... Let's let's have a, a start and an end in terms of episodes. Not And we know the end of the story. We know how that, that yeah, ends. Yeah, we know but, how it has to end. But how long are we going to stretch it out for? It really should be something that's like... you know, Miniseries work. Like That's the problem. That's the they do work. They've been proven to work. They're killing it. The Anthology Emmys. series are... It's the best way to go about it. Like Fargo or... Yeah, so, something like that. Now, you, you, can you ma- can you imagine if they tried to do the Fargo and they did a different fugitive, ever? <laughs> like you do Richard Kimball, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, man, guess what? Oh no, no. can you imagine? You got to go after did... this fugitive. <laughs> now this fugitive. No, you take uh, the fugitive. Because how many? In it, they can't have that many innocent people breaking. Well, it's not even that. It's like how many? I think what, what is it? Like there's like 25 active fugitives like at all times. <laughs> like. In the United States, like it's not wow. a very high number. Yeah. It's, I think it's something like that. But no, it's eight episodes. You make it an eight episode TV show. I think that would be the perfect amount yeah. to to pull off doing a, a rebooted version. But like I said, I, I have my my concerns over. Uh, I think you're right. I think one. I think one of them is, and probably Gerard, Gerard. Is, is flipped to Samantha be, Gerard. Yeah. Or or what was it, Filipina or? Uh, 
Uh, I forget. Like, like some of the names I was coming up with. Yeah, because uh, in the 2000 Fugitive, they had a black Gerard, which, you know, it's fine. Michael T. Williamson's a great actor. But when you make it, I'm, I'm sorry, I know it's not couth to say, Gerard's, Gerard's not a woman. It ruins the dynamic, and I guarantee you, if Gerard is a woman in a Fugitive remake TV show, they will eventually have her sleep with Richard Kimball. And that's, that's, and that's what when, I dread. That's when Charlie checks out. <laughs> because that ruins the show. That's not the show. That's that's moonlighting. Like it, It's it's so against what the Fugitive and is. And we've seen that. It's called Out of Sight. Yeah. You can you can add female characters into the Fugitive and make it very interesting. Like, why does Gerard have to be the only one who's diehard after this guy? Right. You know? Put a female on his team. But then it's a male in charge and there's a whole other issue. Well, it's it'd be fascinating. Like I, I love it if Netflix got their hands on this because I feel be like great. I feel like Netflix could could figure out a way to do it. Now, the the biggest problem we haven't mentioned yet is how do you weave the story? How, how do you weave the story of a fugitive on the run in 2018? Right. See, that's the whole thing with me. Why it can't last a certain number of episodes. It's the toughest like, thing in the book. They had this uh, this this episode in the 2000 show that I loved. It was called DrRichardKimble.com, and this was right like right during the you know the yeah, dot com bust, the bubble, and 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 it was really it showed like how helpful it was and how hurtful it was because his image was everywhere, you know like and that was really interesting. It's like yeah, how would you hide in two thousand? I mean, twenty eighteen. Now we all have smartphones, and it's like Jesus, like you could not last right very long at all. So no, like remaking the movie, I think is a horrible idea. But the TV show, I think you could remake the TV show every twenty years, and 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 put a different spin on it. Now, granted, the gender thing, I'm not okay with. But, uh, like, there's different ways you can go about doing this. 2000 TV show introduced new characters that were chasing him, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. It doesn't just have to be this one thing. Um, but you got to keep the core of the show and the heart of it and of the story uh, truthful it, it, to what it originally was. It always has to be that way. Uh-huh. You know, because, like, in the, in the original show, like, the chase for Kimball, like, ruins Gerard's marriage. Like because he becomes that obsessed, yeah, you know, and it's like that's the interesting stuff. Yeah, it really is. <clears throat> so, I think I, I've that's all my stuff, man. Well, scale of one to ten, I give Fugitive a ten, uh, easily. I love this movie. I love that we have uh, discussed it for the twenty fifth anniversary. Um, it's a movie that I I can I can talk about it all day. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Of the show uh, and and really the movie. It's right. like. I've seen this movie more times than I can count. Right. And I'll never get tired of it. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. I, I'd co-sign a 10. I would. I mean, because it's extremely rewatchable. Yeah. Its rewatchability is just it's through the roof. Like, it, it really is. And like I said, a lot of it has to do with the editing. Yeah. It's a fun movie to watch. Like, right. with how it tells a story. Right. Yeah, you know, I remember Gene Siskel saying, like, that no thriller has ever done it like this. And they should all start doing it like this from now on. No, they didn't. The Fugitive was special. Yeah. yeah. And it's to remake this movie, because that's the other thing, too. It's not like I think people forgot The Fugitive. You know, this is one of those movies that I think gets passed down. Yeah. You know, Air Force One, probably not. You know, why pass down Air Force One when you can pass down Die Hard? But The Fugitive is, is a one-of-a-kind movie, and my favorite chase movie. There, there's, just, there's just nothing like it. Great cat and mouse crap. I love it, and it was about the last great thing Andrew Davis did. It really is, yeah. What, that's yeah chain reaction, uh, collateral, collateral damage. damage. Uh, and after that, I'm kind of... Yeah, holes. He did that's holes. right. And the, 
Who directed The Guardian? He did direct The Guardian. Okay, that's the one. Okay. Okay, he's done. But I remember, like, it's a great part of the, of the Blu-ray, too, in the, in the documentary. He says, I think I'll always be known as the director of The Fugitive. And that's a pretty cool thing. And I was like, I'm glad, I'm like, thank God he owns it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, congratulations. So so we'll be back next time. Cops and Robertsons. When did that come out? Cops for, and Robertsons. Was that April or March? Well, how many movies have we done? Clerks? The, the, April. April. April of 94. And you can find me. I'm at William Rinkin 83. And I am at CM underscore stabs. And of course, keep following the podcast at Real Change Pod on Twitter. We'll see you guys next for Cops and Robertsons.